was doing something really good. Something really good. Something's broke this week. Something broke this week in the warfare. I, I don't know how to explain it. We'll get we'll get more details as we figure it out going forward. But something's broken, and uh, it's good. It's a good break. <clears throat> yeah. Today's a day of surrender. Like, period. Like, Hank, Hank was right there, man, with the hear and obey me. Like, when God says listen, it, it's not just hear the words, it's do the words. If you're hearing and only, we deceive ourselves. Oh, I heard the Lord, but did you obey him? Did I obey him? No, it's the doing that's the obedience. Everyone can hear God's voice, but not everyone chooses to do what he says. And um, I'm going to talk about this today. If you just open your Bible to, um, we're going to be in a couple places, but Matthew 24, we're going to be in Revelation 2 as well. And I just want to say Easter's coming up. We're going to have a fun celebration. Invite you all to that. Invite family and friends. We'll do communion on that Good Friday uh, around the table, a family-style dinner and communion to remember what Jesus did for us. Uh, the Sunday before Palm Sunday, we're going to have a celebration, uh, maybe a dance party is going to break out. I don't know. We'll, have, we'll do something different because we want to celebrate the king that came. And he came lowly and he rode in on a donkey. He didn't come in with a, with a, a white horse and his army behind him. He came in in humility. We want to celebrate that humble king of Jesus who, who didn't consider equality with God something to be uh, attained or striving for, but he humbled himself. And so God gave him a name above every name. Come on, would you say Jesus? Jesus. Would you say his name? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Yeshua. Oh, come on. What a beautiful name. So we want to celebrate him, and then Easter, we want to celebrate what he did. It's great to have the whole family here. I, I love you guys. It's good to see you, every one of you. Um, but today's a day of surrender. And um, a few weeks ago, we were, we were having prayer meeting, and we were praying against complacency, like just this coldness that can kind of sneak in. Let me just ask this question. Has anyone ever felt that complacency come into, our, into your life? Yeah, like that coldness. Isn't it sneaky how it comes in? And then before you know it, your heart is like cold and you're like, how did I go from there to here? And it was just a steady, a little decision here, a little offense there, a little unforgiveness here, a little bit of compromise there. And before you know it, heart is cold. And it, and it starts with complacency, but it always will end in coldness. And so if, if complacency will lead to coldness, then we should treat complacency like coldness. If, if, if just a little bit of complacency will lead me to a cold heart, then I should deal with any complacency as if it's nuclear. Because it only goes one direction. Let's go to Revelation 2. Let's skip Matthew 24 for now. I'll, I'll say what I wanted to pull out of Matthew 24. It's talking about the end times. And it's talking about how... Nation will rise against nation, and there, there will be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence, and it sounds like I'm reading the newspaper. <laughs> you know, like I just pulled that up on, you know, Apple News right here. Uh, it says, but these things must happen because they're the beginning. They're not the end. They're the beginning of the birth pains. Whew. 
So when we see these things, we shouldn't freak out like, oh my God, it's the end of the world and pull up our, the end is near signs. You know, it's the beginning of the birth pains of the salvation of all mankind, of Jesus coming back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But he's warning us and he's saying, when you see these things happen, you need to be alert and aware that something's happening. It's a spiritual warfare that's going on, and it's happening in our world in a way I don't know if I've ever seen it in my lifetime. And I know it's easy to say things like that, and how do you measure and compare generations? And, and you know, I'm sure the people during World War II could say, hey, I don't know if it gets more evil than Hitler and the, the Nazis, and, and I get that. But it feels like it's a suffocating evil that's a little bit different than we've ever experienced before because we're all imprisoned to nonstop input, and so it's a little bit more of a suffocation that's happening. And he says what would happen when this suffocating comes, this Leviathan, this, this constrictor that comes, is that as it begins to suffocate, it says that the love of many will grow cold. And it even says in Daniel that the enemy's tactic to stopping people from believing in Jesus or continuing to walk with him, to continue to walk with God, would be to wear them out to persistently wear on them and add weight to them and add pressure and add stress to their life just over time to where it becomes unbearable and your love grows cold. But Jesus, <laughs> he said a smoking candle he will not snuff out. <sighs> you hear that? When it feels like the candle is about to go out, and it feels like you're a bruised reed that's about to snap in two. He says, I won't break a bruised reed either. I'll put my hands on it and I'll heal it. So in this time where it feels this suffocating, and it may not just be from the world. It may be from our own lives. It may not be from the outside. It may be from within. That I've had some complacency and some compromise and some rebellion that sneaks in to my heart that I don't know is there. And it invites the Leviathan to suffocate the life that's inside of me. But Jesus says today he will not put out the flame. He will not extinguish it. Don't let your love grow cold. And it's not anyone else's responsibility to maintain my affection for God. I can blame my wife all I want. I can blame Mandy. You know, well, if Mandy was just this or if Mandy did that or if Mandy didn't do this, then I would feel a lot more love for Jesus right now. If my kids would just do what I told them to do, I wouldn't be so stressed with them and worry about their future, then I could love Jesus more right now. If I had a little more money in the bank account and didn't have to worry about just surviving and all the inflation and all this stuff, then I could love Jesus more. These are all ridiculous excuses for letting our love drift away from our first love. And he says, don't let your love grow cold in the circumstances you're in. And so in Revelation 2, you guys have, have heard this. He, he wrote these letters to the seven churches and, and to the church of Ephesus, the angel of the Lord says in Revelation 2 verse 1, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Come on, that's Jesus walking in and out of his church. Amen? Listen how, you've heard this before, but let's listen with new ears. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot stand evil. Woo, sounds great. I, I love that. Thank you, Jesus. I love that love note you're sending me. I know your work. Everyone here, he knows your works. You're working. You're laboring. You don't like evil. You're patient. Come on. And he's 
he's praising them for this. And I hear, I, he could say this to us today. And you have tested those who say they're apostles but are not. The false prophets and the apostles that rise up. And you're alert to that. And you're like, well, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel kingdom. And you're alert to it. So good job. You're discerning. That's what he's saying. You're discerning. And you have found out that they're liars. Wow. <laughs> I love that God doesn't mince his words. He just says it. He just tells the truth. He goes, and I, I love how you've persevered and you have patience. And you have labored for my name's sake. And you have not become weary. Come on. Good job. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. You're doing all these things well, but you left your first love. You're prophesying in my name. You're casting out demons. You're healing the sick. You're cleansing lepers but I don't know you. And it is, the, it is the condition of our heart that matters more than anything, more than our sacrifices, more than our serving God in whatever capacity you serve God or I serve God. All of those things are beautiful. He loves it. It's an offering unto him, but it is not the sacrifice that he wants from us. He wants a broken and a contrite heart. He wants a heart that burns for him. He wants a heart that allows no coldness to creep in, no rebellion to come in. Come on. You've left your first love. <laughs> Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Look where you were. Look how your heart burned. You may not have done as many things then. Well, I'm doing more for the Lord now than I ever have before. I mean, I've, I've felt that before. Like, God, I'm being more obedient now than I ever have before. That's great, buddy. I'm so glad that you're doing that. <laughs> but nevertheless, your heart's going cold and you don't see it. <sighs> Go back, repent. Repent. You know, repent. It, it doesn't mean answer an altar call, even though that's a great, great start. Repentance is not, it's not a thing that we do. It's, it's a heart condition where I turn my heart to him and I say, God, this is how I've thought about this thing and it's been wrong. And now I want your mind. I want to think about this the way you think about it. I want to see this thing. I think I'm bringing to you as this beautiful offering that I've made you the sacrifice. I want to see how you see it. <laughs> how many have ever had like, like someone gives you a gift and you're like, man, I was really thoughtful that you gave me a gift, but I like these things instead of that thing. You got the wrong gift. <laughs> like someone gives you something completely that doesn't fit your personality, but it was a gift. Well, thank you for the gift. And then you're like, I'm going to re-gift this, de-gift it, throw it in the trash, something else. Because it's, it's not my thing, right? They, were being, they thought they were being thoughtful. Like, don't you love my gift I brought you? I love that you thought about me, but you don't know me or you would have brought me a different gift. And I hear the Lord Son, I love that you're trying to bring me gifts, but if you really knew me, you'd bring me the gift that I want. What is that, Lord? I want your heart. I don't want your works. I don't want your deeds. I don't want your, your, your voice, your talents. I just want your heart. And if you give me your heart, everything else comes with your heart because you do everything unto the Lord from your heart. Do the things you did at first. 
And then he says, if you don't, I'll come quickly and remove the lampstand from its place. Whew. Lord, please don't let that happen. <laughs> but this you do well. You have done. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Like, oh, that's great. Who are those guys? <laughs> well, basically, they followed the doctrine of Balaam. And if you know the story of Balaam, anyone remember in the Bible? Like, have you ever heard that a donkey talked in the Bible? That was Balaam's donkey. All right. So this, Balaam was a prophet. And the enemies of Israel hired Balaam to curse Israel, to prophesy. Because everything he prophesied happened. So they were paying him money to prophesy evil over over uh, Israel, and his donkey spoke to him and, and corrected him. And when Balaam began to prophesy over his, Israel in front of his enemies, he began to bless Israel instead of curse them. But they stuck to this doctrine that said, it's okay to compromise a little bit for gain, for money, to marry. In this time, you have to understand the context of the Bible, to marry foreign wives who worshiped foreign idols and foreign gods. And they were like, it's okay to do this. It's okay to have a little mixture it's okay to be a little bit complacent. It's okay to have a little bit of sin. And he's saying, you don't even let this go on. And, and I hear the Lord saying to us today, it's not okay to have a little sin. And then he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And whoever overcomes, I will give, and he will eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And we all say amen to that, right? I want to talk just for a few minutes just through this. In Zephaniah 1 verse 12, there's a verse that jumped out at me. And it says, and it shall come to pass at that time. This is Zephaniah 1 verse 12, almost at the end of the, New, the Old Testament. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps. The Holy Spirit with this searchlight, right? And I listen, this is the Lord's language. I will punish the men who have settled into complacency. Whew. And you're like, well, how, how, how did they fall into complacency? And then he gives the answer to it. If you read the Bible, he always will lift a, a question or un unlift the veil so that you see something and it stirs up curiosity. And then he gives the answer like very quickly, usually in the Bible. Well, how did they come, become complacent? Are you seeing it in Zephaniah 1.12? Because they say in their heart, oh, what do they say in their heart? The Lord will not do good nor evil. Like, what does that mean? It is the mindset that says, it's okay for me to be complacent here because God's not going to punish me because he loves me. He has grace. And then it's the same mindset that says, but I also don't believe that God will do good for me. I, I, I pray things, and I, I really don't think he's going to do them. Or I, I want these things that are good for me. I know they're good for me, but I really don't know if he's going to do it. And he says that's how these men fell into complacency. They didn't believe that God would stir up his anger toward complacency or to sin, and they didn't also believe that he would be good to them. They believed that God was not involved in their daily lives. They believe that God was distant and far away. And because of that belief, they become complacent. Now, I can see how this happens. If I believe, it's okay, man. I'm a son forever. 
which is absolutely 100% true. If you're a son or a daughter, you're a son forever. But that does not give me permission as a son to do whatever I please. So if I say, well, because of his grace, I'm a son forever. I can do these things and have a little complacency because he's going to look at me through his son, Jesus, and he's not going to bring any discipline in my life or any punishment, whatever word you want to choose. He's not going to do that because I'm under grace. Can you see how that mindset can creep into the church and can create a soft and squishy gospel that believes that God is not interested in the complacency of our hearts when he absolutely is interested in the complacency of our hearts. I would say the greatest sin besides fear in the church is complacency. We're just, we're just good. I think there's a word for it. It's called lukewarm. We're good. Hey man, I'm in the building. I'm on the roster. I'm in the book. I'm good. He's not, he's not, it will lead to complacency. And here's why. Because we should be vigilant on keeping our hearts pure. And if I don't think that there's a God who is holy and just and deserves my righteous living and my righteous heart, if I don't think that he, he is that way, then I will not with all diligence guard my heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, with all diligence, guard your heart. Why? Because out from your heart flows all the springs, all the issues of life. But if I believe that I'm good, God's okay with me, then we won't diligently guard our hearts. And then there's the other end of the spectrum that will lead to the same complacency. God doesn't want good for me. I pray and nothing happens. I ask for things and don't happen because he's not interested in, in moving in my life. He's, it, it, it's, it's basically practical atheism. I believe there's a God, but I live as if there isn't one. On both sides. Is this making sense? And the Lord, is, the Lord is telling us to drive the complacency from our hearts. And complacency is both sides, okay? It's the, I'm okay with a little bit of sin. And it's the, he doesn't want to do miracles, signs, and wonders, or answer prayers. Both of them are complacency. I want us to be alive and on fire in every way. I want us as a church, I want me to, above all else, to be diligent in guarding my heart and being careful what I allow to land there and stay. And be like, oh, I don't want any. I don't want anything to stay there longer than it should. I don't want anything to land there and rest there that would cause uh, coldness toward God or offense toward other people. And then at the same time, the way that I stir up my hunger and my passion for God is I pray for miracles, signs, and wonders or for him to do impossible things in my life because it's impossible to stay complacent when we're seeing the miraculous and answered prayers all around us because it stirs us up. And God says that he wants us to deal with the complacency on both ends of the spectrum. That complacency is actually witchcraft. Now, I've been thinking about this since December when, when Corey Russell was here and he, and he said that tears washed the witchcraft from our eyes. 
the tears of repentance washes the complacency, which is witchcraft. It washes it from our eyes. And I begin to think about that. What do you mean by witchcraft? Like, like it's the enemy coming and lying to us. It's, it's refusing to be moved when he comes into the room or when he shows up. It's the, it's the Pharisees who said, hey, if you'll show us a sign, we'll believe. He's like, I've been showing you every sign you can imagine. There's no more signs for you. The only other sign you're going to see is like what Noah saw. And, and that's going to be the sign you see. There will be judgment coming. And complacency is this hesitancy to respond. It's like, you know, Dan McCollum, it's funny, we quoted him last week as well. But he says, we're currently moving at the speed of our own obedience. And there's this complacency. I'm like, what witchcraft has come into into my heart? What witchcraft is in, in fire life that we can drive out? Oh, it's being slow to respond. It's refusing to move. It's saying, well, if you'll do one more thing for me, I'll move. Oh, my goodness. Who do we think we are? Like, God is still God. I I believe in all the grace, and I believe in all that stuff that's new covenant. I'm all in for all of it. I love it. Thank God for it. But he is still holy and just. And because we believe he's holy and just, he deserves for us to act like he's holy and just. Complacency is an attitude of doubt, which goes to that, this side of it where, well, I'm going to ask God for this, but I doubt he'll do anything about it. That's a cold heart. I'm going to pray for this person, but I don't really think God's going to do anything here complacent heart. I love, I love what, what uh, Ray said when he's here. It's impossible to pray and nothing happen. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Complacency partners with poverty. It invites the poverty spirit. Hey, come hang out. Poverty spirit, come live inside of me. Come, come uh, advise me. What happens when, we're, when I'm under the advice of the poverty spirit? I start limiting my options. I believe there are limited resources, limited options. Well, I only have these cards in front of me. That's all I have. I have four cards, and I'm playing five-card poker. I'm in trouble. The poverty spirit causes me to only see the options that I see in my own hand, and it keeps me from seeing the unlimited options that Jesus has for me. So the complacency invites this poverty spirit to come in and say, well, we can't have this, or we can't move into this area, or we can't have breakthrough here because these are the cards we're dealt, and there's only a few of them. And Jesus says to repent with tears that will wash that witchcraft from our eyes that believes that anything is impossible for God. Complacency is witchcraft. When we were praying, this was March 8th, we had a prayer meeting here. And while we were praying, Bimpe made this connection in prayer. And she was, we were talking about praying about complacency. And she made that connection that complacency is witchcraft. And from that time, it changed. And I started thinking this through. Okay. Tears washes the witchcraft from our eyes. Complacency is witchcraft. Well, what is witchcraft? We think of spells and, and casting spells and doing magic and stuff like that. That's only a very small part of witchcraft. The Bible actually tells us what witchcraft is. It's the sin of rebellion. Yeah. Come on. Oh. 
1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. Saul had just been given orders on what to do, and he didn't obey the Lord. He completely did the opposite. He partially obeyed, right? So Samuel said to him, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? Remember bringing him the gift he wants? Saul thought, I'm going to bring him this great gift. I'm going to bring him the best of the cattle, the best of the sheep, the best of all the livestock, and then we're going to give them to God as this big offering. But God said, kill all of it. The gift God wanted was obedience. The gift Saul brought was twisted through his perspective, through what he thought would please God, but really what would make him look big and bad in front of the whole nation. Because not everyone saw what they were doing, but if they brought the best and presented it in this big ceremony and brought the whole, picture this, the whole nation of Israel comes out and they bring all of the livestock and they create this whole sacrifice where the whole nation sees, oh, look how awesome Saul is. Look at what he has done. The king that God has given us has won this huge victory. And look at this amazing sacrifice we're bringing to God. They could have had a big church service. They could have said, invite all your friends. Tell everyone, we're going to have this revival service and we're going to offer this offering before the Lord. But it wasn't an offering God wanted. And Saul disobeyed God and Samuel said, the Lord does not delight in this offering and all of this production and all this stuff you've brought together means nothing to God. All he wants is one thing. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. Can you say that with me? It's better to obey than to sacrifice. And then he says, it's better to yield or to heed than to bring the fat of rams. And then he tells us what rebellion is. Rebellion is is as the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance is evil and idolatry. And then he says to Saul, because you've rejected the Lord, this day God has rejected you as king. What a heavy penalty to pay for one disobedient thing. But it wasn't one thing. Saul had a cold heart that led to that. There was a complacency inside of Saul, a deficiency that allowed him to compromise in various ways in his life that led to that place. And witchcraft is rebellion. It means to be stubborn. Oh, okay. <laughs> to be stiff-necked. We don't use that word very often. Stiff-necked. That's a biblical word. Stiff-necked, rebellious. They go together all through the Bible. You see stiff-necked, rebellious. Stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious. They just go together. What does it mean? It means difficult to lead. I love the verse that says God would guide us with his eye. That's easy to lead. <laughs> difficult to lead is he forces us. What did he say to, to Saul in the New Testament before he became Paul? Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you fighting against me leading you? And the Lord says, witchcraft is being difficult to lead. It means slow to respond, slow to faith. And it will always lead to outright disobedience, to full-on rebellion if it stays in our heart. And I know this is a very heavy, heavy message, right? And it should be. It should be. And it's good for us to feel that because 
Yes, we're under grace. Yes, we're sons and daughters. I'm all for that. We will not preach legalism here. This is not a message on legalism at all. It is the opposite. Legalism would say, you need to do all these things to please him. This is the opposite of that. It's the kingdom. It says, all he wants is a heart that's submissive. How many of us have been bringing him gifts and making sandwiches, as some have said, making sandwiches for him that he didn't order? And we're working really hard, like, oh, isn't this so pleasing to you, God? He's like, oh, it's all fluff. I just want your heart. Would you just engage your heart? Lean in. Let your heart be moved and then do what I tell you in that moment. It'd be a lot easier for all of us. Legalism is very hard because we're coming up with all the rules. Complacency, witchcraft, rebellion, all these crazy things we don't talk about in church because they might offend people. This is not me trying to preach a message to offend you. This is a message that God, as I said, since December, the Lord has been talking to me about this message. I haven't said a word. I haven't talked publicly about this message since December because I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to sit on this one for me for a while. And that doesn't mean I've like broken rebellion. Like this is for me. I don't want witchcraft in my eyes. I don't want to limit options because I have poverty of spirit. I don't want to become complacent and be like, well, God's, God's got me. I can act this way. I can have an attitude here. I can speak ill of my brother. I can whatever, fill in the blank because God's got me. It's okay. And then I don't want to be on the other side where it's like, well, I'm going to pray, but I doubt God's actually going to move. I don't want complacency. And he says, be careful, Matthew 24, be careful when you see all these signs. Because what can happen if you're not guarded is the love of many will grow cold. Jesus, help us. Yeah. Why don't you just begin to pray? Talk to the Lord for a moment. Hmm. Jesus, we invite you, Holy Spirit. Turn on the searchlight. Turn your lamp on. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and then we're going to have an altar call. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you will. First and most important thing I want to do is I want to make sure everyone here is right with the Lord. Let's not go forward with anyone at all. You feel disconnected, you feel far away from God, or maybe you've never even asked him to be the Lord of your life, whether you're here or on the the live stream or watching on Facebook or wherever, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, would you just lift your hand right where you're at, anyone at all? You just want to surrender to him. I surrender. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Come on. (laughs) It feels good to surrender to God, doesn't it? Oh, I love the, how the weight lifts off when I surrender. Oh, Jesus. Can we all just pray a prayer of re, uh, reigniting our love for him, returning to him with all of our heart? Can we all pray that? And those that raise their hand, we're going to pray as well. If you would, just join with me. Father God, I come to you now as a son or daughter. Hmm. 
I know I belong to you. But I've distanced myself. And I ask that you would bring me close. I move toward you right now. I turn my heart toward you. Drive out the coldness from my heart. Bring me close. I surrender to you. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I'm going to pray that one more time. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Those that raise your hand, you made a great choice. Surrender's a great decision. Come on. All of us, it's a great decision to surrender. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus, right? Now, for the rest. <laughs> I want you to ask Holy Spirit this question. We say, Holy Spirit, is there any coldness or complacency in my heart? Come on, go ahead and ask him. Holy Spirit, is there any coldness, any complacency in my heart? <laughs> Our spirit knows the answer. If it was yes, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. This is part of the breaking the cycle of coldness and complacency. I'm going to ask you to come to the altar, and we're going to make this a place of prayer. Come on, you can go ahead now. I don't, you don't have to wait any longer for me to say anything. We're going to respond to the Lord. We're going to drive the coldness, drive the complacency from our heart. We're going to remove the witchcraft from our eyes. Yeah. The tears of repentance drives the witchcraft from our eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to be quiet for a moment. I'm going to let you pray. We'll pray a prayer here at the end. But the goal is to drive complacency and coldness out. God always makes more with anything that comes against our love. He always does. So God, we ask right now that you would make war with the coldness, the things that have pulled our hearts from you, God. I ask that you would, that you've started something today that you would continue, that you would walk us through how we've been cold and slowly complacent in areas, God, that you would drive it out. We ask that you would put fire on the altar of our hearts. Come on. (laughs) Put fire on the altar of our hearts for you, God. God, put us around people who are burning. Come on. (laughs) We want to surround ourselves with people who are burning. Come on. Don't hang around with cold people. Come on. Don't be cold people. (laughs) We want to burn for you, God. We want to cause other people to burn. I don't remember all the references, but there's this place in in the Old Testament where Israel was asking God for something specific. And God says, I'll give that thing to you, but it will cause leanness in your heart. It will cause coldness in your heart. And they asked for it anyway. I think there are things that that maybe we're oblivious to that were gifts that God gave us that actually have, have turned into something that's caused us to be complacent. And it started out as a gift. So God, we give back to you every gift you've given us. We bring it and we offer it back to you. Everything you've given us, God. God, may nothing separate us from your love. 
May nothing cause our love to grow cold. Yeah, come on. 